Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. Each episode features a discussion of current topics from the latest consumer trends and new products to shifts in markets and lifestyles. I'm Andrew McDougall, Director of Beauty and Personal Care at Mintel, and today we're discussing Mintel's Beauty and Personal Care trends for 2023. Um, So I'm very excited to be joined by some very esteemed colleagues and members of the Global Beauty and Personal Care team. Uh, Delighted to have uh, a trends veteran, uh, well, two trends veterans with me today. Uh, But first of all, all the way from the US, we have Sarah Jindal. Hello, Sarah. Hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm also very excited to uh, also announce uh, Vivian Rudd is on the pod with us today. So welcome, Vivian. Hello. Welcome both. I know that we have a lot to talk about with our 2023 beauty and personal care trends uh, that have been launched, and it's always a difficult one on to where to start. Uh, I figure a little bit of background of the trends. They are the result of workshops comprised of our whole global team of beauty and personal care analysts around the world. Um, We all make these predictions. They're all supported by consumer data from 36 global markets all the product launches that we have in the Global New Products database um, and evidence from our whole suite of data science and analytic tools available, as well as um, some brilliant minds like yourselves today. Um, So without any further ado, I want to kick off that trend discussion. Uh, We have to start somewhere. Uh, So what I wanted to do is start with the drivers, the consumer drivers that we see, and then how that's leading into sort of the three trends that we will discuss today. Uh, And the first one I picked up picked out was our beauty rx trend but i wanted to focus just first of all on the health and well-being driver or the sort of the physical pillar of the sort of health driver uh, and the impact that's having in beauty I and mean, is there something in particular that uh, either of you have seen in this space that is particularly interesting for the beauty uh, market i mean there's well there's a ton honestly i think the challenge is kind of narrowing in on one particular thing but i think What I always find really interesting is this relationship between the physical and the mental. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into the next trend, but there's definitely some overlap there. Um, And one thing that we were talking about recently is just this sort of information overload that we're all subjected to from a million different, you know, sources and how that leads to a lot of mistrust and sort of confusion. And so that's where with this particular trend, Beauty RX, we start to talk about the importance of the right information and presenting it in the right way for consumers so that you can sort of reignite that trusting relationship between brand and consumer and get them to purchase the right product to meet the right need, but doing it in a way where they actually believe what you're telling them and they're comfortable in that in that information and in that purchase. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think you can link that with the rise of the sort of the informed influencer as well. So that although yeah, you've still got your celebrity influencers and your TikTokers, etc., there's a real growing appreciation of people that have actually got the scientific credentials to back up the beauty advice. You know, I'm thinking about the likes of Lab Muffin, for example, who's so great at transmitting really good uh, information and advice on skincare that's backed up by science and is truly credible. And I think you see it as well in the pushback against some of the, the new brands that are being launched because they've got um, maybe some celebrities behind them in the headline ingredient, but there's nothing else that actually gives it credentials. And people are being much more um, critical in the way that they're taking advice. And we talked about this. It was a, my no Beauty with a Brain a couple of years ago, the rise of sort of 
the expert-led influencers mm-hmm. like germs and and that sort of a thing. But I think that sort of content has become so popular on platforms like TikTok that the consumer is now sort of primed and looking for sort of that next level of information, which just creates a perfect environment for brands to really start digging into the sort of the, the, the science behind everything that they're doing. Exactly, which is also fueling the rise of derma cosmetics. And I know that, again, that's something we've been tracking for a number of years, but you really do see an explosion now of um, skincare brands and scalp care brands that are really tackling solid issues rather than just saying, you know, it's going to make your skin feel comfortable. It's about making your skin feel comfortable and be totally healthy. And that's why we're seeing so much M&A activity as well around that derm space. And, you know, just in the last couple of months, a whole load of anti-acne brands being bought up by bigger, sort of more mainstream, broad-based beauty houses. Yeah, it's really interesting because that whole trend is kind of uh, like before the health pandemic, uh, not to relate it all to that, but before the pandemic, we saw a lot of the sort of dermacare brands and skin health was becoming quite a key focus for a number of the big brands, a lot of smaller brands coming through. But it really accelerated over the last couple of years for people looking for those particular solutions. So it's interesting now that we're sort of plateauing a bit in sort of the the, the sort of the post lockdown, not post pandemic, but post lockdown world, to now see these real folk the real focus on skin health and scalp health and and all the the, the health aspects really interesting to look at. But more so than just having the derma claims or as you say the influencer led sort of commentary on oh this product is dare I say clean in inverted commas and things like that but it's actually consumers are actually looking more into these claims they actually want to know more from the brand and I I find it fascinating I know we have some consumer data from this year in the US that showed that beauty users of online content they use TikTok primarily I think two-thirds of them use it primarily because it's it's entertainment obviously but interestingly, four in 10 use it because it's educational. And I think that shows where, particularly younger consumers, but we are seeing a lot of beauty consumers are going online. They are getting that information from the online space. So my question here is, is that where validation and proof of claims becomes really important and forms a big important part of this Beauty RX trend? Because it is true that people are going online for that information and it is a great source of information. However, there is also that sort of dark cloud of misinformation that could be out there. There has been the mistrust in sort of yeah. what people are saying online anyway. So is that something as well that we're seeing coming into the beauty space in, in this Beauty RX trend as well? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's this pairing of not just here's an ingredient and here's how it works, but how does that tie into the claims that this product is making? And then what's the validation to show that it's actually performing in that way? I think with everything that's going on now in terms of the economy, we need to start thinking about what value actually means to consumers. And I think especially when you're shopping in the sort of skincare category and you're looking for things because you've got acne or eczema or dark spots or whatever the issue is that you're experiencing, if you're on a budget, you know, or now you're, you're, you're painfully aware we're coming into the cold weather, you know, energy costs are rising, et cetera, et cetera. People are really starting to pay attention to where they're putting their, their dollars or pounds or whatever. Um, and so I think really thinking about what this idea of value means, especially as you're shopping in those categories, it's not just about, you know, pennies per ounce that you're, you're paying for that product. It's, is it validated? Does it make sense to me? Is it giving me the information that I need to know that I'm putting my money in the right place and I'm actually going to get the results that I'm expecting to see? 
So, yeah, I mean, I think it's all intimately, you know, integrated and you've got to paint that fuller picture. I don't think it's as, as you were saying, you know, oh, it'll, it smells nice. That's not necessarily going to warrant that purchase. It's got to do the job that you're looking for it to do. Mm. Yeah. And I think that aligns with what's going on with the development of home testing kits as well, where, you know, you've got these tests for the sake of argument for your microbiome and you can track the progress of, you know, your microbiome over time to see if the products that you're using are working or not. And we've been talking about that again for a few years as a possibility, but now you are starting to see that with test kits going into um, retailers like Target, for example. But it's still at a nascent stage, but it's only going to get more sophisticated over time. And it's going to borrow from, as BTRX suggests, it's going to borrow from the medical community and start using those kinds of tests and those kind of metrics in the future. You've actually done my segue for my next question perfectly there, Viv, because now it's a case of, yeah, what is I'm in the future? Because, well, yeah, you've helped massively. Nice like, job. It's, it's perfect. Perfect. I'm loving it. Um, but that's, 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 the, that's my, that was going to be my next question on the future, because you mentioned, obviously, looking at medical science. I always find it fascinating to see what's happening in medical journals and happening in medical research mm. for the idea of sort of, you know, we can 3D print organs and things like that. And it's kind of, well, that just, you know, for the skin, that obviously has huge implications for our industry further down the line um, and you mentioned the microbiome testing there as well i know that there are companies such as shisido which are already looking at dna testing and rolling that out at a consumer level so mm-hmm. the future for sort of personalization and personalization health and beauty that's going to be really interesting i mean maybe i'm not talking about the, the near future per se but that ev- evolution of that development um, that we talk about in this btrx trend is going to be really interesting to see well, you mentioned um, Shiseido, and I think it's them as well that's starting to do research into looking at the bacteria on the surface of the yeah. skin. And so that's really interesting because, again, that becomes almost like a fingerprint where that those colonies of bacteria, I know it sounds disgusting, but it's a fact of life. We've all got it. Um, but the the sort of makeup of that bacterial population on the surface, that sounds bacterial population. I like that. Um, <laughs> on the surface of the skin I is, another trend I know, is unique to that individual. And so it, it sort of paints a picture of what's going on on that exact person's skin. And so I could very easily imagine that becoming a great sort of segue into building these sort of, I won't say customized or personalized, because I think we've gone beyond that. I think it's individualized is really the way that we'll start sort of talking about some of this stuff in the future. Obviously not in the next couple of years, but really looking at these, you know, if you pair sort of might, like you were saying, viv microbiome, bacterial populations, um, genetic predispositions for skin issues, skin cancer, hair loss, whatever it might be, you can then create this, you know, blueprint, I guess, for what your skin and hair and what have you are going to do as you move through your life and be able to kind of target that maybe at different time points, who knows? Yeah, it's quite interesting when you look at um, what's going on with food and drink technology 
and um, some of the healthcare technology and seeing, you know, in terms of DNA testing and um, optimization apps as well that measure hydrogen and methane levels in your breath even. And then it sort of tells you what ingredients you need to rebalance the system. You can sort of see how there's kind of learnings to take from there into advanced um, beauty testing as well. It really, yeah, it's really interesting to sort of see, as I say, how that future of personalization and sort of individualized solutions is going to be um, sort of going forward. As, as you say, it's something that I think is evolving. So in the next couple of years, we're going to begin to see those, those steps being taken before, as so some of the things we're talking about are, are much more sort of in the future kind of things. Uh, but changing directions slightly, um, so sort of still sort of maybe keeping with well-being and personalization that we've discussed, um, but looking at sort of the psychological well-being sort of pillar, so thinking more about mental health, um, as well as thinking about the identity driver, how, how are these impacting beauty more? So stepping away from just that beauty RX trend, but thinking more about those trends around individualism and mental health and what that means in beauty, um, what are the sort of the key themes you're seeing uh, that impact uh, in particular ways? I think representation is probably the biggest place where we're starting to see greater demand from consumers, but also a bigger shift on the sort of brand and retailer side, but still with a lot of space to grow. Um, I mean, and we can talk about that from the perspective of the wellness movement in general. And I think we hit on this um, in our trends a couple of years ago where you know, we basically were like the the wellness space is for white people. <laughs> and how do we make that accessible for everybody? Because it's not just about, you know, rich, stay-at-home moms. It's for everybody. And I think our sort of, even though this conversation has been growing and evolving for many years, I think the last few years have really sort of exploded that conversation from the perspective of, Everyone has a stake in what's going on with their own identity and how that impacts them from a mental well-being perspective. And so now the drive is for these brands that are kind of catering to those wellness sort of areas to do it in a way that's accessible for everybody. And I think that um, that sort of representation and, and expanding that conversation and also just being open about you know, the ideas that you're talking about and where those come from, you know, certain ingredients or, or ancient traditions, like being very open about, you know, what you're building off of for your brand. I think that becomes part of that as well. Access becomes a really important part when we talk about representation as well, doesn't it? That providing yeah. access to to information, to everything, to, to giving people, it's not necessarily that every consumer is going to want the same playbook uh, from brands. But it's just the idea that there needs to be that sort of open access available. And as you say, representation forms a big part of that because I need to feel involved in that messaging or right. at least feel like I was I was part, like not me personally, but obviously my, some someone <laughs> like me was being thought about in the development of this product. And I think that is going to be this next evolution of the wellness sector, like you say. Uh, and that brings us on nicely to our second trend, um, which is that evolved self-care trend, which is all about sort of mental health and wellness, what this means in beauty, body positivity, things like that, um, as well as obviously the communities as well that we, we sort of live in within beauty. Uh, again, what are you seeing sort of in these spaces? Is there anything sort of exciting you're seeing in this kind of evolved self-care space? Um, or is there any particular way that you see this evolving going forward? I think it's interesting looking at the, the body positivity um, space in particular, because we're seeing more representation in terms of advertising 
imagery, but I don't see the representation in terms of product creation mm. yet. Um, and I, I admit that it's a, a bigger leap between imagery and functionality rather than, you know, fashion is much easier. So at the moment, it's just, yes, we are talking to you and you and you and you, but we're not formulating for you. Mm. And I wonder whether that's the next step, because that's the step that's been taken now with menopausal beauty. We've seen big strides with that, quite how long-term successful it's going to be. Who knows? That's still up for grabs. But we've not seen anything for fuller-figured men and women yet and the issues that they face which is going to be difficult tonally anyway yeah well and also people with you know limited mobility or any sort of mobility issues this Mm -hmm. is something else that we we talked about a a few times over the years in, in different contexts but i think that also needs to be like you were saying are these products being developed with me quote unquote me in mind and I think that's a, a big population that often feels as if they're not considered when people are creating product. Mm-hmm. So I think that becomes an important part of it. And the whole menopausal thing, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, but we're starting to talk more about, you know, life stage, tying products to life stage and the sort of hormonal journey. And it's not just menopause, it's pregnancy. It's, you know, the, the whole thing. Um, I think that is there's almost this self-awareness I think that we're sort of missing in the category Mm. if that makes sense and I think that that's a direction that we need to move to in the future is just being more conscious that all of this is not just about me it's about everyone else as well Um, and you know I mean I think we've been extolling the virtues of like one size fits all doesn't exist for years and in Mm. this context it absolutely needs to move beyond any sort of a one size fits all option and and really start to think about specific groups of consumers and the the needs that they have it's interesting because the way the both of you speak there it's almost like we've reached this say do gap with it which i know we talk about with but it's really interesting and that's not to say this is a bad thing because i do personally believe that um beauty has always played very well in sort of the diversity and inclusion space in terms of talking about it and i think it's good to i think in those regards, sometimes it's good to have a tick box exercise where you are ticking things off saying, yes, we're talking about this, we're talking about this, we're doing this, we're showing images of this. That's, I think that's all good because it's the first step. However, it's the next steps that come that are then the really important ones. Right. And that's where I think. And do we get to where we are now and stall out? Or exactly, exactly. Do we keep progressing. What are the next steps? And I think you yeah. have to be careful with those next steps as well because you, you mentioned um, the, uh, the menopausal, I think hormonal sort of hair care. And skincare is something we're looking at quite a lot um, over the last couple of years. And I think this is a fascinating area as well, because you also need to be careful again that you're not just, you know, it's, it's not just about, okay, again, tick boxing be like, okay, do I have a hormonal line? Um, uh-huh. You know, do I have a menopausal mm-hmm. line or pregnancy line um, or even just a, you know, a, a young person's uh, life stage menstrual cycle line or something along, yeah. along that sort of, uh, sort of concept. It's much more about, why? Why do we have that line? What is it actually bringing to the consumer rather than this? Yeah. Again, it's, it's good to tick box to get through the door. But once we're through that door, right. why are you here? Well, it's like, are you just and, and we've seen this with so many brands over the last couple of years, it became like a buzzword exercise. 
where they were like, oh, wellness, that's the next big thing. So let me write this Instagram post and throw the word wellness in there. But really, it's got nothing to do with my product. And we've seen so much of that over the last couple of years that I think people are now starting to sort of take a step back and look at that wellness space and that the language around it and start to decipher, does that make sense or does that not make sense? And we need, I think we're at, like you said, we've reached this sort of turning point where we need to stop just saying it because it's what everyone else is saying and it's what consumers expect us to say, but actually evaluate from like the DNA of your brand, is this a direction that it makes sense for you to move in and and why? And make sure that you're doing it authentically um, because people see right through the BS, I think. Oh, yeah. But it also loops back to BTRX with the whole validation thing as well. So, Definitely. You know, you have got some brands that are coming through and they have wellness-related ingredients that they say will raise your serotonin levels or your dopamine levels. And there are ways that they're sort of starting to test it out by showing, you know, centers of the brain that are lighting up when they're using Mm. it. And that could be something that could become quite important going forwards as well. And it also links to, you know, you were talking, Andrew, about uh, wellness for all, not just for me, it's for the we. Um, and there's this kind of subtrend of altruistic beauty, beauty of kindness. Um, I saw a stat from um, British um, Research Institute showing that there's an actual rise of serotonin levels when you have an act of kindness either given to you or you give an act of kindness to someone else. And I think a beauty brand, I think, really picks on that very beautifully is Beekman that actually says it's all about kindness. It actually has kindness listed in its inky list of ingredients. Hmm. And, you know, you might be cynical about it, but I think it's actually a really pleasing way to market yourself. Yeah. No, I like that. It's true. This it's, I think we've spent you know, so much time just thinking about me, 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 me. But there are huge advantages to thinking about the wider community around you. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we saw so much of that, like during COVID and during lockdowns, where neighbors took care of each other and, you know, did all these wonderful things to help each other out. And it feels good to do that. Like you said, there's this, you know, a serotonin rush when you do something nice for someone else. But I think considering the world is a dumpster fire at the moment, the only way forward is going to be for people to hold each other up or it will all just continue to fall apart. I know that sounds very like, you know, doom and gloom, but it's kind of the truth. Yeah. And I think that that is going to have to be the next evolution. So as you said, I'm, Great. I'm very glad you said about sort of validation as well. Uh, you're on there, Viv, as well, because that's obviously, I think that has to be there for the wellness sector or the well-being sector, particularly in beauty, to have any sort of credibility going forward to build any trust with consumers. We do need that. Um, and I think it is going to be fascinating because we are going to see when we touched upon, upon sort of menopausal and sort of hormonal solutions in beauty. 
those for sort of disabilities or mobility challenges as well. But it's also going to be important for stress management, which you know mentioned post-pandemic stress management, thinking about sleep, blood circulation. Again, we see that a lot of sort of claims around that could potentially be developed. So that could be very interesting. And the other great point I think that you mentioned there, Sarah, which I wanted to just to mention as well, was this idea um, of the importance of community and how that is continuing to grow because we want to connect with like-minded individuals. We want to feel like part of the collection. And being an individual and being part of a group, they're not they're not polar opposites. So it's not like you're in one camp or the other. It's not like I'm just me or right. I'm following the herd. It's kind of no, it's it's good to play <laughs> in those spaces. So I think that's a really important message as well. And again, for mental health, for mental wellness, that becomes really important because your mental health is about you as an individual, but your community and who yeah. you can speak to is how, as you as you mentioned with the kindness, that's how we can sort of get through it. So I think it's it's really interesting to see how um beauty companies are already playing in that space. And I think going forward, we see in person, but also online communities building around beauty. I'm thinking of uh, the Lions Barber Collective, who famously trained all their barbers to be counsellors. Um, and they now they now That's have right. a non-fungible <laughs> token, the NFT, which allows you to join their Discord online, which is a community, again, which is allowing men to speak with each other in this digital community. And I think um, that's a really interesting sort of way of looking at sort of the self-care, mental health, wellness side of things um, that I think yeah. is really important. Uh, and it also then, very fortunately for me, ties us into our next trend as well of thinking of the new, the, the third trend we have is the new rules of engagement. Um, but thinking about how we're going to be engaging with consumers in the future. If the last couple of years has taught us anything, it's that we have to be flexible, we have to be adaptable, but also it's not always going to be, again, there's not one solution that's going to work all of the time for everything, particularly in beauty, we're a tactile industry, we're going to need the in-person and the sort of online. So I think the new rules of engagement trend as well is also really interesting to think at from an experienced driver as well going forward. Absolutely. I mean, I think, by the way, you're the king of segues. I love it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I know you think we planned it. Um I think the challenge is going to be building an environment across multiple realities so that you can service your consumer in whichever place he or she feels comfortable, whether that's in a store, in the metaverse, on a chat bot, or, or through some gaming platform. You know, you've got all of these things that are available to you now, and it doesn't have to just be about one or the other. I think that, that, you know, brands and retailers can really start thinking about building these environments so that if I want to go into a store one day, I can do that. If I want to go online the next day, all my preferences are there. I could potentially chat with the same advisor that I talked to in person in the store, you know, building it in the seamless way so that you can just sort of do whatever you feel like doing in that particular day and still have the the same the same sort of level of access because one of the things that we've definitely learned especially during the lockdowns when stores were closed and you couldn't physically go in and you had to do everything online the convenience of that has stuck with a lot of people so now that physical retail environment has sort of the responsibility to really find what they are at this point, because going in just to pull a product off the shelf, I can do that um, on a website and have it on my doorstep tomorrow. I don't need to get in my car or get on the bus to do that. So what does the storefront become? And I think that's where the experience and the experimentation um, 
and you know all of the engagement opportunities really come into play whether they're tech driven or not I, I think that there are ways to do that that aren't necessarily um, you know married to technology but the tech then also gives us those additional layers that allow us to build that environment out even further yeah it's going to, it's going to change the way again that communities are built in and we know that community as we've spoken about um today and elsewhere we know that community is so important in beauty so again giving them a space whether that is physically in the barbershop the salon the store wherever or it is online those communities and giving them a, a place to play is, is the most important i always think this about the metaverse when we get asked about this because i think it always gets Everyone thinks about crypto and NFTs and all these other things with the metaverse and how it may be a bit clunky right now. But I think the the gaming industry is always a really interesting thing to look at when you mm. talk about this because yeah. if you look at some of the top games right now, um, they are games like Roblox or Minecraft um, or Fortnite. And these games aren't the most... Um, I don't know if either of you are gamers, uh, but these, these games nope. aren't the most... <laughs> <laughs> but, they, but these aren't the most aesthetically pleasing games. They're not like the most realistic graphics games. However, right. it is a place you go... But the kids go on there and chill with their friends. To play with your friends. It's all about community. Yeah. And I know that yeah. Nars Cosmetics has already got uh, five, I think it's five or six islands in the Roblox game where you can go yeah. and you can actually discover within the game of Roblox, you go in and you can discover the islands, which is a different range within their cosmetics line. There's loads of different spaces you can go in. And it's the point I'm making here is that they're not the most aesthetically pleasing games, but it's the community is what becomes yeah. really important. Mm-hmm. So I think that, again, those rules of engagement, whether you using tech or not, that becomes really important to know where the consumer's going because brands are going to have to follow that. Yes, yeah. It's true, because I went to a virtual Metaverse launch of um, nail polishes just to kind of find out what it was all about. And admittedly, I did not have great equipment to do it. I was just using my work laptop and my headphones. Um, before I got lost and ended up in a car park in the Metaverse somewhere <laughs> and couldn't turn around and get back to the launch, it was really striking how people were talking to each other, sending out messages going, oh, I really love this, this is really cool, etc. And as I wandered around the car park, I just wept bitter meta tears thinking, I wish I could see it. But it did kind of foster that sense of communal excitement. Yeah. Well, there's a sense of anonymity too. There's an, an element yeah. of that when you're doing something digitally, isn't there? Because, I mean, that's something that's been talked about quite a bit with like cyberbullying and online bullying is people feel that they're protected because there's this layer between them and the other mm-hmm. person. But I think that also applies in this case too. That you're not in the real world. Everyone's in this sort of, you know, space that they've never been in before. And it's exciting and it's new and everyone's, you know, tinkering around with it. And so the likelihood to engage is going to be significantly higher because you know that everyone's going through. It's like a communal experience that you're all having together mm-hmm. and you're kind of all on the same level. And so there's a level of comfort there as well, I think, in in being much more open and, and saying, hey, I'm stuck in the car park or, oh, this is so cool. Or, you know, yeah. I don't go to the metaverse again. This is a nightmare. Like whatever <laughs> it is, you've got the opportunity to sort of share those experiences yeah. because you know someone else in there is also going through the exact same thing. <laughs> 
yeah, it's a work in progress as well. Yeah, I think you're right. It's kind of, again, that idea of community and taking people along with you. I think that's really important. It also begs the question as well, Viv, had you gone to an actual physical PR launch, would you have ended up in the car park anyway? Probably. Uh, just, just, where, where's, where's Viv? Oh, she's lost again. Um, um, probably. But actually, on the subject or in real life, do, do you find now that when you go to stores, like if you're going to a big department store in the beauty hall, you're actually kind of more demanding than you used to be in the past because you have this instant fulfillment online, mm-hmm. yeah. being able to find the um, information, go from one page to another, etc., and read yeah. reviews. I do find when I go into department stores, it's like, well, why aren't you talking to me? Why aren't yeah. you telling me about your products? Why can't I actually reach these products or try yeah. them out or find the prices or you know see the headline claims or anything we're so used to having such easy access to all that information yeah. and it's and now i want the person in the store to almost mm. become this encyclopedia of, of you know the same information it is a really good point because i think we've spent so long when we think of online worlds and indeed metaverses when our first thoughts of them we spend so much of our lives thinking how we replicate the offline online but oh. actually when it comes to beauty shopping for the future it's actually what do we take from the online now that we need to incorporate into the offline because as, as you say i have the convenience at the it's it's simpler it's easier sometimes to shop online so how yeah. are you go, how are you going to bring that to my store to my physical store because i still want to go in and touch and play with the products right. but i want all of that information yeah. <laughs> at the same time and um, one of the uh, retail analysts was showing me sportswear store that's opened in um, westfield mm. where the um, the trainers or sneakers, wherever you're sort of listening to the podcast, they've got RFID attached to them. So you can use your smartphone, click on them, and it will show you information about the trainer. It will give you um, comparisons with other trainers so that you can make more educated choices. So you have that sense of more sort of 360-degree sales information. Still not getting you an assistant any quicker, but um, no. I'm sure that will come. But, I mean, we're so used to sitting in front of our computer and being able to research and read reviews on everything before we buy it. Yeah. So that you're making a much more informed choice. You can do product comparisons. You could, you know, put something out on TikTok asking for advice. There's so many different things that you can do pre-purchase in the digital realm that you then couldn't do when you go into a physical store. So again, it's the same sort of a thing is, you know, how many of us search for a product and then spend four hours reading every article and every review that you could find, especially for big ticket items Mm -hmm. before you decide to actually make that purchase. That's more difficult to do, you know, in, in in an actual store. So thinking about, again, making that, part of this sort of journey that the shopper can go on and be able to do those comparisons and get get that information. Yeah, and once you've lost them, you don't get them back. I mean, yeah, I'm, you know, me, but grumpy old woman, but there's a couple of brands <laughs> that I won't buy from because I remember once standing in a beauty hall by a display for what felt like a good 10 minutes waiting for somebody to come and ask me if I wanted any oh, help. Nobody came. Uh, just invisible so I left and that's it never bought from them again well I never bought from them the first time because nobody would tell me about it (laughs) 
But that's true. There's there's so much choice out there exactly. that you could very easily just switch off one and move on to the yeah. next one. And nowadays as well, that 10 minutes you gave them back then to sort of come and speak to you, it's probably like a, like a minute now or less because, again, the attention span for brands to actually be yeah. that engaged with consumers is shorter because there is this competition for, for sort of space in the consumer mind. So it does become really important to get it right. Um, and I do think, I do think as well, it's, it's, it is, it is a combination of the two, like, like Sarah, like you said at the start about it being tech influenced but also not dependent like there is going to be this other mm-hmm. element of engagement that becomes really important as well unfortunately that probably mm-hmm. does it for today i've really enjoyed this conversation i could probably talk with you more um for another hour or so <laughs> uh, and i probably will off the podcast uh, but in terms of the uh, the actual podcast that does do it for today if people want to learn any more about mintel or specifically about the trends uh, the three trends that we talked about today which were the the beauty rx trend which is all looking at the medicalization of beauty um leading to looking at sort of more demand for proof behind claims, validation, ingredient-led products. Um, that's sort of the, the real key focus of that trend. The evolved self-care mm-hmm. trend that we mentioned in the middle, talking about um, sort of how beauty links so heavily into that well-being driver, but also life stage beauty, how we make people feel. I love that that reference earlier as well about being kind and that really coming through in the sort of the different aspects of how brands communicate, but also actually formulate and manufacture the products themselves becomes really important. Uh, and then, of course, the new rules of engagement trend that we've just discussed um, just then talking about this whole new disruption that we're seeing in the category around tech-driven, digital, online, offline. Uh, The whole rules of engagement have changed, but they are still evolving both online and offline. So it becomes a really important platform to play in. Um, As I say, to learn any more about those trends, please head over to Mintel.com or please reach out to your account managers or any of our analysts or consultant teams as well to find out more about how these could apply to you and to your business. Uh, Also, be sure to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, But all that's left for me to say is Viv, Sarah, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. Uh, thank you very much for your insights. Hopefully you enjoyed your, your trip on the podcast, Viv. I did. I think I may have given away too much <laughs> about my dark side, but never mind. Never. We, certainly, we certainly enjoyed having you and we'll definitely have you again in the future. Uh, and Sarah, I know this isn't your first time, but uh, thank you very much uh, for, for joining us today. Hopefully uh, that was a bit of fun for you as well. Anytime. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you, thank you to you both. Uh, as I say, be sure to subscribe to Little Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. But all that's left for me to say is thank you very much and have a good day.